All right. Hey, folks. So this is part two of the recomposition guide. And today I'm going to be dealing with the training. So in part one, I discussed what recomposition is. That is the simultaneous adding of muscle, dropping of body fat, and maintaining your body weight over time so that you see a significant difference on a longer time frame. I also outlined a bit about who it might be useful for. And just understand for you viewers, my only goal in this series is to provide you with another alternative to the typical bulky and cutting cycles. I am not out here saying this is the best way for everyone. I'm providing you with an option. There's a famous quote which sums this up quite nicely. And it's the mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it. And I would say in addition to that, it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a difference of opinion without getting personally offended. So if this doesn't quite jive with you, fine. It's a tool in the toolbox. All I'm out here doing is trying to provide you with options which may benefit you, maybe not now, but maybe somewhere down the line, or maybe not at all, but it will benefit someone. So with that said, what I wanna talk about in this video is training. Yeah, so we'll kick off with talking about form. I think form is super important. On the internet, we talk about sets and reps and intensity and frequency and volume and all that kind of stuff. I'll get onto that in a moment, but let's kick off the discussion by talking about form. I think form is super important. Your training has to really be focused towards placing stress on the muscle, stimulating that muscle. Now, that's going to look different for different people. I made a tweet recently that every exercise is a lower back exercise if you do it badly enough. And I think that's true. But also you can go on the other side of it as well. Like you can be too strict. There can be no life in your training. You've got to avoid that. You've got to have a balance. And it's not about emotion. It's about placing stress on the muscle. Whatever gets you excited and fired up has to place stress on the muscle. Now, what works for me, general guidelines for me, I like to have a relatively slow descent and then I like to explode upwards. Very typical mainstream bodybuilding style of training, slow on the way down, explode on the way up. That's how I lift. That's how I like to do it. I feel like I can get the most out of every rep by doing that. We know that we have more strength on the negative than we do on the positive. You can do more reps on the way down than you can on the way up. But for my money, I want to try and maximize that and take advantage of that by trying to go a little bit slower on the way down and a little bit faster on the way up just to try and get the most out of it. I also like being in control of the weight because then I can place the stress where I want it to be. Just be honest with yourself, you know, you have to have that internal stimulus, whatever it looks like externally. It might look like an absolute bag of dicks externally, but if the guy who's lifting, the girl who's lifting can honestly say that, okay, this it gives me a sick pump in the area that I'm trying to build. It gets me sore in the area. I don't get hurt. I just progress and it's great. Fantastic. Cool. You go for it. You do you. But be honest with yourself. More often than not, what I see is a lot of little guys who lift like crap just because their favorite influencer does. Now, those are the guys who'd be better off having some standardized form. Standardize your form so that it's consistent and then just try and get bigger and stronger based on that form. It makes it simple then. It takes out any guesswork. If your starting and your end point is standardized, if your rep speed is standardized and you're just putting in as much mental effort as possible, trying to get more and more reps over time, more and more volume, shorter rest periods, all that good stuff, however you want to progress, then 
you're going to grow. Whereas if your lifting looks like crap and you don't really know what's working, you might grow. But then it's a case of the proofs in the pudding. If you're a little guy shouting from the rooftops that your special form for this exercise where you cheat and you look like a fish out of water is working for you, then you don't really have much of a leg to stand on, like literally and figuratively. So in part one, I said that we have two main anabolic vectors in our training. We have the anabolic stimulus of a caloric surplus, and we also have the anabolic stimulus of training. Because we can no longer rely on the hypertrophic stimulus of excess calories to grant us anabolism and muscle growth, we have to be really hot with our training. And as a result, you have to be a maximalist when it comes to training. You cannot afford to be a minimalist and do minimalistic training either in intensity or volume or frequency when you're recompositioning. You really have to push all the vectors. Now, that's not going to mean 30 sets of body part six times a week, but what I'm saying is there's a gradient and you need to find where your optimum is. But it needs to be on the higher end for you rather than the lower end for you. So let's go ahead and talk about some specifics. Okay, so I want to frame this discussion by talking through the three main factors when it comes to training, which is intensity, volume, and frequency. Those are the three main factors which we manipulate to create an anabolic stimulus from training. So we'll start with intensity because I think intensity is the most important thing. Now, why is it the most important thing? You could go out and you could run a 5K, right? That is a certain type of training. It is a type of training where you're doing thousands and thousands of repetitions. Now, that is not ideal for muscle growth. It is not of the right intensity because each step that you take is so easy that you can do thousands of steps. On the other extreme end, we have a one rep max. That is one repetition of the highest intensity possible. So we have two opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, so when we talk about repetitions, you want to be in that optimal mid-range. Now, for most people, 5 to 30 is going to be too broad a range. A lot of people really don't get on with reps higher than 20. People also don't get on with reps higher than 15. The rep range that I mostly stick with is about 5 to 15. That's a pretty comfortable rep range. Usually about 5 to 10 for compounds and about 10 to 15 for isolation exercises and potentially some leg exercises too. So that's it. It's a pretty tight range. What I'm saying is somewhere in the middle. Don't go too heavy because it's mostly strength. Don't go too light because it's mostly cardio. Be somewhere in the middle. I think explaining that way, it makes a bit more sense. So when it comes to intensity, that's the kind of range we want to be working in. Now, there's another factor to intensity, which is how hard you're working. And that is what we would mostly call relative intensity. You've got to train hard. Okay, there's no way around it. You've got to train hard. So yeah, you've got to train the right rep range, but you've also got to train hard. I think you should set your intensity high. In my experience, I think tra tra training to failure pretty much works. Train to failure on exercises where it's safe to do so. And on exercises where it's not safe to do so, then train about a rep away from failure, where you know the next rep, you're probably going to fail. But as long as you get in that rough ballpark, you're good. So far, we've said you've got to train in that rough intensity range. The second part of the intensity argument is you've got to train hard. 
So within that rep range of let's say five to 15, my recommendation is you need to be training roughly in that range of failure. Either go to failure if it's safe to do so, or not quite to failure and just pull back to prevent yourself from being decapitated by the bar on the bench press or crumbling into a heap with a squat bar on your back. The next thing is volume. Now I placed intensity first and volume second for a reason. I think volume is important because we want to get the most out of our training because we don't have a calorie surplus to rely on. So when it comes to volume, in that range of what is acceptable, from low volume to high volume, I would rather push to high volume with the proviso that it doesn't impact your intensity. Do more volume, but if that extra volume causes you to wuss out on your sets, don't do it. See, for some people when they're training, let's say they've got three or four sets to do, which I think is quite reasonable, by the way, per exercise, two to four sets is about normal. But let's say with some people, if they're dealt four sets to do, and let's say they're not very well conditioned, let's say they're a bit out of shape, their cardiovascular conditioning is quite poor, their mentality isn't quite there, they're going to look at those four sets, something in the back of their mind is going to make them pull back, so that by the time they get to the fourth set, they've kind of wussed out. When you're a more seasoned lifter, you are more capable of sustaining a high level of effort across many sets. And that's what you need to do. So a lot of guys will say that high volume leads to junk volume. Now, listen, those guys, are, they mean well, all right? Because maybe for them, if they're presented with a large number of sets, they don't have the mentality to actually push on every set. And so they just tell everyone, hey, you got to stick to lower volume. Don't do super high volume because you'll lack intensity. What I'm saying is intensity comes first. Try and do as much volume as you can while not sacrificing how hard you're working. I think that's fair. If anybody has a disagreement with that, please put that in the comments and let me know. But I think that's fair. I think if you can recover from it, and I think if you are able to keep training hard, do as much volume as you can. I would also say for recomposition, you kind of have to do that. So just to recap where we're at so far, intensity, I think you should train as hard as possible and you should train in that mid range, not too heavy where it's going to be strength work, not too light where it's going to be cardio, but in that nice mid range, five to 30 is fine. But my general recommendation is about five to 15. When it comes to volume, you should try and push the volume as high as you can recover from while not sacrificing intensity because that comes first. That's where we're at so far. Now, the final part of this is frequency. Now, frequency is an area which isn't talked about as much. And in fact, some people would say it doesn't matter at all. I think it does matter. I think it's not just about weekly volume. I think there is a certain amount of volume you need to do per bout of stimulus. I remember having these conversations with people online before the research came out. And when we just had the research on volume out, people were saying, just get your weekly volume. It doesn't matter how you split it. And I was like, no, I don't know. I think it does matter because let's say we are aiming for 14 sets, two sets every day. I don't think that's going to work as well as say seven sets twice a week. So I think there has to be a minimum threshold for training stimulus per session. In my experience, I do think it's about four to eight. That's roughly what I look for. So I think frequency then becomes important because it allows you to split up your volume so that you have quality volume. That's what I want. Now, if you're doing all of your 15 sets, 
once a week, you do a bro split. Nothing inherently wrong with a blow split. Obviously, it's going to give you something, but I think you can do a little better. And again, with the recomposition, I think you have to do a bit better. So with the recomposition, I would say you want to split up your training. So you are training each body part two or three times a week. I personally think that's about right. With sufficient volume, training as hard as you can. You end up with most popular splits. So whether that's full body, whether that's upper lower, whether it's push pull legs, whether it's an Arnold split, you end up with about that. So that's why those routines end up becoming quite popular because they satisfy the criteria. So final section is on routines. Now, I think within the confines of what we've said, train hard, maximize your volume, train your body parts about two or three times a week. As long as you're satisfying those three criteria, I don't think the split really matters. And I think most good, credible coaches who actually know what they're talking about they would also agree with me that the split doesn't really matter as long as you satisfy those three criteria. Now, there are a few coaches out there who split hairs about various splits, but they're probably just doing that to be controversial. So just to kind of summarize where we're at so far, training becomes super, super important when you're on a recomposition phase, because it is where you get the majority of your hypertrophic stimulus from. You don't have the advantage of being in a caloric surplus you have to rely on the training stimulus. So as a result, you have to be very hot on making sure your training is sufficiently hard, sufficiently plentiful, and you're also training each body part often enough to make sure it's good quality, hard volume. Sounds simple. And then you're gonna be left with most modern splits, like my wizard routine details how to do that with the full body. My barbarian details how to do that with upper lower. Just pick a time-tested, proven split. Try to avoid anything too new with lots of justification behind it. I'll say one more thing with that, just as a final section on this. I think one of the key mistakes, which we should probably talk about now, is changing routines too often and indecisiveness. So if you remember where we're coming from, we're coming from somebody who's potentially been on a bulking and cutting cycle off and on for many years. And as a result of that, they've failed bulks, they've failed cuts, They've bulked 20 pounds. The training mistakes they've made have been masked by the bulk. So when they cut back down, they see no gains. These guys maybe have been on this cycle for two, three, four, five years. The guys who are in the gym who perpetually make no progress. That might even describe some of you. And you may be on this roller coaster of ups and downs of ineffective training. So when it comes to recomposition, training becomes extremely important and you can't kid yourself because you have to improve. There is no bulk to carry your training upwards. So you don't get to find out if your training worked six months from now when you cut. You find out this month. You find out almost immediately. So one of the nice things about recomposition is it keeps you very honest. If you change your routines from month to month and you're recompositioning, you make no progress. It's very visible across the six months you've made no progress. Now, if you bulk and you're gaining weight and your strength is going up because you're gaining weight. And then when you cut back down, you lose all the strength, you lose all the mass you've gained because your training sucked in the first place. You're only gonna find that out six months down the line. You guys get what I'm saying? You're not gonna see that immediately. So a recomposition keeps you very honest, but that means you can't dick around. You can't routine change all the time. You can't go from a bulk to a cut one month to the next. You can't keep 
being indecisive in your training and your dietary choices. You have to be consistent. Recomposition highlights very quickly where you're going wrong and if you're going wrong. And it's one of the big advantages of the recomposition is it keeps you extremely honest about your progress. And when people say a recomposition doesn't work very well, that is probably what's happening to them. Their training probably sucks, their diet method probably sucks, but they're just seeing it more quickly. Okay, I'm gonna leave you with that. Now, I'm just gonna give you a clue about the third part. When it comes to recomposition, it's not a maintenance phase, okay? You have to get that out of your head. In fact, this was something that Natural Hypertrophy mentioned in his videos about recomposition. It is not a maintenance phase. If you view recomposition as a maintenance phase, you will fail. You need to view recomposition for what it is, and that is the simultaneous gaining of muscle and dropping of body fat. It's not maintenance. Maintenance, if you view recomposition as maintenance, it may lead to a laissez-faire attitude towards the diet, when actually you have to be just as intense on the diet as if you were in a cut or a dedicated proper lean bulk. And again, it's for that reason that it keeps you honest. I'll leave you with that clue. Part three will be coming soon and that will be related to diet. There will also be a part four because there have been some excellent questions which have come up in the comments. Please do add more. I'm always interested to hear from you guys, whether you agree, whether you disagree. But again, remember the quotes. I'll leave you with that again. It's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And my take on it is, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a difference of opinion without being offended. <laughs> okay. Right, guys. Take care. I'll see you in the next one.